the Psalms give us language of lament in these seasons of sorrow, these trying seasons of life. And one of those Psalms is Psalm 77, which we'll be in this morning. And, and I pray that if you're in that season of life, uh, a trying season, a sorrowful season, that these words would bring comfort to you and that it would also help shape our church, our culture as a church, to be able to care uh, for one another within these seasons of lament as well. One pastor defines lament as a prayer in pain that leads to a trust in God. A prayer in pain that leads to a trust in God. The same pastor goes on to say that lament is the language of a people who believe in God's sovereignty but live in the real world of tragedy. So lament is the language of a people who believe in God's sovereignty but we live in a world of tragedy. We know and trust in God's sovereignty and his faithful promises, but we also deal with the grave effects of this fallen world. And again, I pray that as we walk through the psalm that it would provide us with biblical language for how we are to walk through these seasons of life uh, as individuals, but also walking alongside one another as the body of Christ in these seasons of lament. So let's read Psalm 77. The title there says, To the choir master, according to Jedithan, a psalm of Asaph. So Jedithan was the, the choir master, the conductor of the choir, and Asaph has written this psalm to him. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Selah. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my, my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he, has he in anger shut up his compassion? Selah. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Selah. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray, church. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you breathed it out, that you pushed the pens of the men to write your word down so that we would have it for centuries to cling to, particularly even in seasons of sorrow and difficulty. We thank you for this real and honest language that we have from Asaph, but Lord, also that this prayer in pain ultimately leads to a greater trust in you. And Lord, we're thankful that we can, in fact, trust you you are the God of gods. 
There is none like you. You are the God who works wonders. And Lord, you are the God who hears our prayers. You are the God who is near to the brokenhearted. And you comfort and you encourage us in seasons of sorrow. And so, Lord, would you use your word this morning to comfort brother or sister who is in a season of sorrow, who is in a trial, whether it be minor or whether it be life-threatening. And Lord, would you also use this word, your word, to help us grow as a church and knowing how to care for one another in these seasons of lament. We pray that you would do all that for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this psalm can be divided up into two different sections. Uh, The first nine verses describe Asaph's lament and sorrow and his crying out to the Lord. And then verses 10 through 20 uh, describe Asaph remembering the past works of God and how great God is and how that uh, speaks to his current season of sorrow. So let's start with the first section, these first nine verses. And the point is to cry out honest prayers to God. Cry out honest prayers to God in the midst of trials. This is what Asaph does in in his trial, and so we are to follow suit as well. The original context here for this psalm of of Asaph's sorrow, his season of lament, is not exactly clear to us. It it could have been a a, 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 just a personal trial that he was going through, uh, maybe something within his family, uh, or perhaps it could have been a national tragedy that the, the nation of Israel was going through and, uh, and he was leading in a psalm of lament. Whatever the context was, it was of such magnitude that it led to serious doubting and questioning of God. Is God there? God, what are you doing in this season? I don't understand. There was such deep hurt, deep sorrow that it led to a questioning of the faithfulness of God. And I think that the general nature of this psalm allows us to maybe let it speak into our lives in, in whatever way we may be in a season of sorrow, or a, whether minor trial or life-threatening trial. I think we can take the, the truths, the principles of this psalm and, and apply it to our lives. So in the midst of, of trouble, Asaph is crying out to God because God hears him. He cries out to God because God hears him. And the same is true for us. We are to cry out to God because he hears his children. We should cry out to God because he hears his children. Look back at verse 1. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. He knew that God would hear his cries. He knew that he wanted to hear his cries, and so he cried out to him in honest prayers. Sometimes in the middle of the night, our older children will cry out needing something, and typically they cry out to to mommy because daddy doesn't always wake up whenever they are calling out. I'm just being honest, and this may or may not have happened this past week, but our God is not the same, right? He always hears our prayers. He always hears our cries to him. He never slumbers or sleeps. He's not like me. He's not like the daddies in the room, right? He is always watching over every detail of our lives. And he knows us intimately and he cares for us and he wants his children to bring his requests, our requests to him because he wants to intimately know us and care for us. Our Heavenly Father always wants to hear from his children over and over and over again, bringing our requests to the Lord. He never grows weary of hearing the prayers of his children, including our prayers of lament. Look at verses 2 and 3. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Selah. He sought the Lord. In the midst of his troubles, he says, In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. And as he prayed, he's stretching out his hands to the Lord without wearying. He's praying to God, and he's praying to God, and he's praying to God, and yet his soul is still refusing to be comforted. Even as he's remembering the, these works of God, and as he's, as he's praying to God, he just is, is moaning, right? He's just, God, why are you still letting this happen? I don't understand what is going on. He sought the Lord in his troubles, and yet he still couldn't find peace. He still couldn't find comfort in the midst of his sorrow. He's struggling. He's grieving. 
And he knew that God heard him. He knew that God heard his, his, his cries. He knew that God heard his prayers. And he knew that God's promises were true in his head, right? He knew that it was true. But yet in his experience, he didn't feel as if it was true in the moment. He couldn't find any consolation for his soul in the midst of this sorrow. So let's consider a few applications of these first couple of verses. First of all, we will all face trials of some sort. It is normal for us to face trials within a fallen world. It can be a temptation for us to think that we need to appear as if everything is all right. We need to make sure that everybody sees the good in our lives and there's nothing wrong, there's nothing to see here, I've got it all together, right? We, we, can, we can be tempted to, to think that. Perhaps we don't want others to look down on us because of our struggling, because of our questions or doubts about God's goodness in a season of life. And so in our pride, we, we hide those, those struggles. We don't want to open those up to other people. Or maybe that we don't want to be needy, right? We don't want to inconvenience somebody else with our, our troubles. We don't want to, to cast our burdens on somebody else. Whenever that's actually what Galatians 6 says, we are to bear one another's burdens, right? So we don't want to be inconvenienced. We don't want to inconvenience others. We don't want them to, be, uh, to hear our, our, our problems and feel inconvenienced by it. And so we hide it. We don't make our needs known to others. It is normal for us to struggle in a, in a broken world. That's just the reality that we live in. We don't live in heaven right now. We don't live in a perfect world. And so we struggle. That is a normal thing. And so that's one thing to realize from this psalm. We struggle in a fallen world. And trials can come in various forms, right? They can be from the most minor things to, to a, a scratch that, uh, that needs a Band-Aid or a so-called scratch that needs a Band-Aid by, by one of our kids and uh, all the way up to life-threatening uh, diseases, right? Like cancer, uh, or whatever it might be, or a car crash. There could be lots of uh, serious things, death of loved ones, uh, marital issues, divorce even, conflict within uh, family, within uh, friendship, depression, anxiety, uh, not feeling like we fit in with others or we have a lack of friendship with other people. Uh, these work pressures are just boiling up and I just cannot take it anymore. Uh, or perhaps... No matter how hard you try to keep your house clean, these kids just keep making a mess, and I can't keep up. It's overwhelming, or just the cares of the family and of the home are just so overwhelming that I just, I just give up. I'm just exhausted. I'm done. I can't do this, right? Whatever it might be, there could be a wide spectrum of, uh, of trials or seasons of, of sorrow or difficulty within our lives. So we live in a fallen world and so we're going to face these trials of various kinds. No matter how hard we might try to hide them, might try to seem as if everything is all good, they're there, right? We do have struggles. We do have trials that we face. We do have seasons of sorrow uh, because we live in a fallen world. We all face trials, and we'll all seek comfort in something in the midst of those trials. So when you face trials, what are you tempted to look to for comfort? What do you look to for relief? What are you going to whenever you, your, your anxious thoughts well up that are overwhelming? What, what are you running to in order to bring you comfort? When you feel overwhelmed and discouraged by your schoolwork, are you running to your phone to give you relief? When you feel as if you don't fit in to society in general or just with your friend group or whatever it might be, are you resorting to self-harm for, uh, for comfort, for relief in that, in that difficulty. When you're overcome by the, the constant neediness of your children and the overwhelming tasks of your home, is it that you resort to social media that, that might just give you some reprieve? Perhaps your work life and, your, uh, and, and just your home life is so overwhelming that you're just boiling up and you just can't take it anymore, and so you, you go to sexual sin for reprieve from that, that stress and that tense, tenseness. Perhaps you're feeling depressed or anxious, and you're looking to food or shopping or some, something else to, to heal this depression or this anxiety. We all go to refuge for something, for, to something in the midst of 
trials, what are you going to, refu- to for refuge? In the day of our trouble, brothers and sisters, we are to seek the Lord, as Asaph did. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. Trials are not fun. They're difficult. It's easy. It's easy to run to something of this world in order to bring some temporary uh, reprieve from a situation. It's easy to do that, right? But we know that those things will not ultimately satisfy. They won't provide ultimate refuge in the midst of, of sorrow. Even in the midst of our trials, no matter, how, no matter how hard it might be, we are to wrestle towards God, to, to find refuge in the Lord. Even though we may not feel it in the moment, we are to be, uh, Lord, by God's grace, moving towards that, that seeking of refuge within the Lord. Asaph cried out to God, but he couldn't be comforted. He couldn't find relief from his sorrow. And so in verses 4 through 9, we see that he was honest with God in the midst of this. He was seeking God. He was trying to go, go, go to him. But Lord, you just weren't providing this relief. And I'm, I'm being honest about this. I'm, I'm telling you how I'm feeling. I'm being honest with you, Lord. Asaph is described as, as experiencing sleepless nights and so broken that he cannot even speak. He's so sorrowful that he can't coherently explain, articulate how exactly he is feeling and what is going on within his heart. He's at a loss for words. I'm sure many of you in this room have had a sleepless night or two, and you've just woken up anxious, worried about something, your children or uh, your, your job or what, whatever it might be, something that you have to do, they have to take care of, and you're just anxious about it. You're up at night, you can't sleep, can't stop thinking about it. I've had those nights, and I often don't handle those well. Uh, I often try to figure out the best solution and try to fix things and think about things from different angles. How can I, how can I address the, or fix this issue and the reality is I can't really do anything in the middle of the night, right? There's just not, typically not much I can do. But rather, that, oppor- that is an opportunity for us to have an intimate fellowship, intimate communion with the Lord in prayer, independence, crying out to him, God, I, I, I'm supposed to be asleep right now. I can't really do anything in this, in this season, in, in, in this situation, right this second. And so, Lord, I, I'm, I'm trusting you. I, I'm crying out to you. Please help me to trust you. Please help me to be able to, uh, to find rest right now, to be able to, to trust that you were at work even while I'm asleep. And, um, and so that, that's, that's what Asaph was seeking to do. He was, even when he couldn't sleep, he was seeking the Lord, crying out to God. And, uh, but the reality is it did lead him to further doubting and questioning, right? It didn't really fix the issues by the snap of a finger, right? It was, it was over time that this, this uh, relief came to him. So, but, he, but the reality is he was wrestling towards God. He was not wrestling away from God into the world. He was wrestling towards God in prayer, seeking him for relief. So again, walking through lament is a process over time, and it's not something that is fixed quickly, typically. So during his sleepless nights, Asaph considered the days of old, and he remembered the songs describing God's faithfulness and his might. Let's look at verse 5. He says, I consider the days of old, the years long ago. And so he was recounting the memories of God's blessings for he and the people of Israel. And he's, he's saying, God, I remember all those, those your, your presence with us, your faithfulness in the past and how you've worked through your people and in your people. But yet right now, that seems to not be matching up with what you've done before. It doesn't really make sense, Lord. What, what is going on here? He's remembering these deeds, but yet he's also saying, ah, I don't, it doesn't seem to match up with my current experience. Look at verse 6. He says, I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. As he struggled to sleep, he remembered these songs about God's loyalty, his faithfulness, his steadfast love that never ceases. And he was hoping that as he sung these glorious truths about God and his faithfulness to his people, that he would be comforted, that he, he would be able to sleep. But this was not working for Asaph either. It was as if his eyelids were stuck open. 
glued open, and he couldn't shut them. He couldn't get any sleep. And so he was, he was not comforted in the moment by those songs about God's faithfulness and his steadfast love. In fact, it led to further questioning and despair in his, in his life. His suffering was so immense that he couldn't be comforted as he sang these songs. And it culminated in this heartfelt questioning, this searching, God, where are you? Are you faithful? Are you good? Are you here? Are you near to me right now? Do you even see what's going on in my life? He, he lists out these questions in verses 7 through 9. Will the Lord spurn forever? And never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in his anger shut up his compassion? Selah. Will God reject me forever? Has God's steadfast love ceased? Has God forgotten to be gracious and compassionate? We're not the only one who's questioned the Father in these types of ways, and Asaph isn't either. Remember that Jesus questioned the Father as he's perishing on the cross. He quotes Psalm 22, 1. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was wrestling with God. Father, the weight of sin, the, the punishment for sin for mankind is on my shoulders right now as I'm shedding my blood on this cross, and this is heavy. This is a heavy weight, Lord, that I cannot bear. Why have you forsaken me? Why have you poured out your wrath on me? As he was pouring out his blood on the cross, he's crying out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we too can honestly ask questions to God in the midst of our trials as well. These verses also point to the fact that lament is a process over time. Throughout the process of lament, it's ups and there's downs and there's, there's good times and there's bad times. We have moments where we're completely overcome and we're doubting the Lord. We don't know what he's doing. But then we have moments where we believe the truth. We know the truth and we're comforted by the truth. And we thank God for that. And then we have another season of doubting and we go back and forth, back and forth like a seesaw. And depending on the trial that we are facing, we may get through it in minutes, or it may be something that we wrestle with for the rest of our lives. Think of this idea on the spectrum of a bodily injury. If you hit your head on something, you know, that hurts a little bit, right? It hurts for a second, and then a few moments later, you're, you're fine. If you get a cut on your finger uh, or scrape on your knee, whatever, it, it hurts, it bleeds for a little bit, you put some Neosporin, you put a Band-Aid on it, and then within a few days, it's healed back up, right? It's not, not too big of a deal. We may stub our toe on the bedpost in the middle of the night, and that is the worst, right? Uh, that, that is the worst feeling, uh, just that, that shooting pain that goes throughout your, your toe and your whole body uh, in the middle of the night, and, and you're like half awake, and then you're now fully awake, and you can't get back to sleep, right? Uh, maybe you break a bone. You have to have surgery. You have to have a cast or tear a ligament and have to have surgery, and there's months of rehab and, and all that goes into that. Maybe you have to have a, a limb cut off, right? That's very serious. Or maybe you get paralyzed, right? So there's this wide spectrum of, of bodily injury that you may have, and there is a process of recovery that is different depending on how serious or how grave that injury is. Something you, that may be over in seconds or all the way to being paralyzed, something you deal with for the rest of your life. So our trials may be minor, and we may get through them quickly, or they may be a season of, of lifelong battle that we deal with for the rest of our lives. Because walking through trials is a process, we should patiently walk alongside one another as we're going through trials and help one another to wrestle towards the Lord. 
as a brother or sister honestly shares how they're feeling, we, we should be present. We should listen. We should seek to understand the situation that they're going through and show that we are concerned for them, that we love them, that we care for them. We shouldn't be surprised when a brother or sister has these doubting questions, and as they go through a season of sorrow, we shouldn't be surprised by that. We're called to sit, be present with one another amid suffering. And in fact, it's, it's healthy for us to be able to dialogue what's going on with, within our hearts to a brother or sister in Christ, and not to hide that and not to keep that in, into our, in our own selves, to ourselves, but to, to share that with others. This is a part of God's design for biblical community. We are to bear one another's burdens. We are to share life together. We are one in the body of Christ through faith in Jesus. And so we walk together with one another, side by side, caring for one another. And we're called to pray for one another, be present in the midst of suffering. Oftentimes, that's the two ingredients that the Lord uses in the midst of a season of sorrow for somebody, is presence and prayer. The presence of a brother or sister in Christ and them praying for us faithfully together while we're together, but also even when we're not together. So presence and prayer are often two key ingredients. And then in the right time, too, we are certainly called to speak the truth and love to one another. We are to help reorient our eyes from our present circumstances and our, and our present sorrow and, and lift them upward to God, right? To see God's truth in his word and how that brings comfort even in the midst of our sorrow. In the right time, we are to do that, certainly. But often presence and prayer are really the key ingredients that God uses. And the reality is, we will still forget the Word of God. We will, we will be reminded of the Word of God by a brother or sister, and then we'll forget the Word of God. And we'll need to be reminded of it again. And again, that points to this process, right? It's, it's over time where we gently and patiently remind one another of the truth and not get frustrated. when I can't believe you can't get this. I just shared this with you yesterday or last week, and you can't get this? Like, no, we, we walk alongside one another in patience, right? Because if we're honest, we all have those things where, you know, it takes us years or a whole lifetime to actually get something right? And so we need other people to be patient with us as well. If you tear your ACL, going back to our bodily injury uh, analogy, if you tear your ACL, you have surgery, you have a brace, you have months of rehab, you have doc, uh, follow-up doctor's appointments with the surgeon, uh, you try to get your, your uh, uh, range of motion back, and then eventually you, you start to be able to put weight on it, right? And then you, you start to walk slowly and then maybe jog and then eventually run, right? It's a process of healing over time. And just as an ACL recovery is a process over time, so too are our trials a process. And therefore, we should patiently and lovingly and, yes, also boldly walk alongside a brother or sister in the midst of, of trials, constantly pointing them to the Lord uh, praying for them and being present with them. So we need the reminders. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Remember his promises and his word. Keep remembering his glorious work through Christ and how he's worked in your life previously. Keep remembering his faithfulness. We need to, to remind one another of those things. When we feel the Lord as, as if the Lord has rejected us, we must remind one another that those whom the Lord has called into his family, has adopted into his family, are adopted forever, right? It's not something that you just get cast out when you have this season of doubt or feeling as if you're rejected, right? The, the Lord adopts those into his family, and we are secure. Our salvation is secure in the Lord. When we feel as if God's steadfast love has ceased, we must remind one another of God's covenant-keeping love. His steadfast love never fails, his promises always come true. Isaiah 40, verse 8 says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Right? The promises of God's word never cease. They never fail. They always are true. And we can bank on those things. His covenant-keeping love is certain. His love is so great that we cannot even comprehend the height and the breadth and the width and the depth of God's love for his people. 
His love is so vast as the ocean. And, and so we need to remind one another of God's steadfast love, that it never fails. When we feel as if God has forgotten to be gracious and compassionate, we must remind one another that the Lord is gracious and compassionate. He is merciful. He is slow to anger, and he is abounding in steadfast love. And the Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made, Psalm 145. In verse 10, Asaph takes his eyes off his present circumstances, and he sets his eyes on the Lord. He sets his eyes on the living and faithful God. Let's read verses 10 through 20 again. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of, Mos- of, of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Selah. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the, the deep trembled, the clouds poured out water, the skies gave forth thunder, your arrows flashed on every side, the crash of your thunder was in the, in the whirlwind, your lightnings lighted up the world, the earth trembled and shook, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This second section is, uh, the the point is is that we are to remember God's faithfulness in the past to bring comfort and hope in the the present trials. We are to remember God's faithfulness in the past to bring comfort and hope in the present trials. We often need to be reminded of things that we already know, right? We we often forget, and we just need to to be reminded of something that we've, we've heard before, and we just need to be reminded that it's true, and so that's often what we need. And, and so we, we, there's times we don't feel or we forget that something's true, and we need somebody else to speak to us and say, hey, this is true, brother, or this is true, sister. And so these, these three verses remind us of, of uh, three things that we need to remember in the, in the season of lament or season of trial. First of all, uh, we need to remember God's power and greatness. Remember God's power and greatness. He has performed mighty deeds. He is the God who has existed outside of time, and he is the one who created time. He is the one who spoke all of creation into existence. He is the one who formed man from dust and woman from Adam's rib. He is the one who made everything, and he made us in his image, and he made us to glorify him. He made all the, the seas and the, and the trees and the plants and the animals, everything, right? He spoke everything into existence, and he is the sustainer of all things, right? He is the one who is keeping all of this going. He is the one who is keeping the earth rotating center of the universe. He is the one who is over all things and sustaining all things. And he is the redeemer, right, which we'll get to in just a minute. So he has done mighty deeds. And we also see that God is, is, the, above, God, God is the God above all gods. Uh, he is the God above all gods. Baal was one of the false gods that people worshiped in Old Testament times, and he was said to be the God of the, the storm, the, the God of rain, the God of thunder, the God of lightning, and, uh, and, the, and the clouds. And verses 17 through 18 recount the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. If you'll recall, there was was smoke, there was great rain, there was lightning flashing everywhere, and these great roars of thunder were were filling the sky as Moses received the law from God on Mount Sinai. And this was a display of God's glory. This was God saying, Baal, you're not God, you're nothing. Right? You're not the God of the clouds. You're not the God of the, the, the skies and, and the waters and the, and the lightning and thunder. I am. Right? I am the great God. I'm the one who deserves all worship and, uh, and not you, Baal. And so uh, the, there are many things that we elevate as God or the people elevate as God, but there's no comparison whatsoever to the one true God. And we also see the truth that God's way is holy. Uh, God is God's holiness is, is a reference to his set-apartness, his distinctness from us. Um, and so he is set apart from us. He is perfect in every way. And yet he also takes interest in his creation, right? He enters into our lives and, and knows us. And, uh, and so whenever, whenever we are thinking about God's ways being holy and, and how he intersects uh, his, uh, into our lives, 
we can trust that whatever we're going through within our lives, that God is good, right? He is faithful. No matter what season we're suffering we may be facing, we can trust that God is with us. And so th- this, is, this is true. This, this way of God's holiness, his way in our lives being true, is true even in the midst of suffering, as Asaph was uh, said as well. So the second thing, so, um, so God's way is holy. And then the second thing we are to remember, uh, in addition to God's greatness and his power, is that God, uh, remember God's redemptive work. Remember God's redemptive work. These verses in 15 through 19 are a reference to uh, the, the exodus from Egypt. So God's people were enslaved to Pharaoh for 400 years, just as God had foretold it would happen. And he got, God called Moses to lead his people out of Egypt. Uh, and he was going to do that by bringing these plagues uh, on Egypt. And uh, he would eventually powerfully deliver his people from Pharaoh. And his purpose in performing these plagues and, and uh, redeeming his people in such a great way was to display his glory was to show Pharaoh and to show the Egyptians, I'm God, you're not. I am the great one. I'm the God above all gods, and you are not. And, uh, and so the, the Lord cast these ten plagues, and Pharaoh had had enough eventually, right? And he tells the Israelites, get out of here, go. And shortly after he tells them to go, and they get out of there, he realizes, ah, I made a mistake. I need to go after them, right? And so he's, he's chasing, uh, he and his army are chasing after the Israelites as they're fleeing from Egypt, and the, the, the Israelites eventually uh, run into the Red Sea. So the Red Sea's in front of them. Pharaoh and his army's behind him, coming after them. They're, they don't, they're trapped, right? They're, there's, this is a hopeless situation, and they, they, they don't have anywhere to go. And it's in this context, in, ver, in ver, Exodus 14, 13, Moses spoke to the people, and he said, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance of the Lord will bring to you today. Do not be afraid. The Red Sea's right in front of us. The Pharaoh and his, his uh, army's coming after us, but the Lord's going to deliver us. Our Lord is God. What seemed like a hopeless predicament to the Israelites turned into an opportunity for God to display his saving power, his might, his faithfulness to his people, his covenant-keeping love to his people. He parted the Red Sea in two, and the people of God walked on dry land through the waters and to the other side. And then, of course, once Pharaoh and his armies were, were trying to chase after them, the waters came crashing down on top of Pharaoh and his armies and drowning them. Verse 19, uh, verse 19 says that God led his people, led his people through the Red Sea, and yet his footprints were unseen. This was God's mighty right hand at work, delivering his people what seemed in a, a hopeless predicament. God showed his mighty hand, and he delivered his people from, his, from their enemies. And his footprints weren't there right? It wasn't visible, right? But yet God was still there, and that's true for us. Even though we may not see God in a present moment, God is, God is at work, and he is present with us. The Lord came to rescue his people from a seemingly hopeless situation, and he rescued them in such a way to make it clear that he was God, that he was all-powerful. But God has redeemed us from an even more hopeless predicament than 400 years of slavery to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. He has freed us from the chains of sin and death. He has redeemed us from sin and death. Since Adam and Eve rebelled against God, we have all been enslaved, chained to sin and death. And because of our sinfulness, we are separated from a holy God deserving of his judgment. And as impressive as it was for God to part the Red Sea, to deliver the the Israelites from the Egyptians, he did something even more incredible. God took on flesh. He dwelt among mankind. Jesus, fully God, fully man, perfectly fulfilled God's law, and he endured our punishment on the cross for our sin, and he shed his precious blood for us. He bore the wrath of God And in doing so, he made a way for mankind to be made one with God again, to be forgiven of our sins. And so, friend, if you're here this morning, 
I, and, and you haven't believed that good news, you haven't been washed with the blood of the Lamb, you haven't placed faith in Jesus Christ, then I do urge you to place all of your faith in him alone. Trust that Jesus alone can save you, that his salvation alone can provide forgiveness of sins, and he alone can free you from the shackles of sin and death. He is the key to, to unlock that. And so I urge you to trust in him alone. Trust in him alone because he alone can save. And brothers and sisters, praise God that he has redeemed us to himself through faith in Christ. And we are to constantly recall what he has done through Jesus so that as we walk through these other trials in life, we know that God has delivered us from the most hopeless predicament ever, sin and death, and now he will also be with us in these lesser moments of these, these seasons of sorrow, these seasons of trial. He will be with us as well, even in the midst of those, and we can trust him in the midst of those seasons. The third and final thing that we are to remember uh, from these verses uh, is that God is our shepherd. Remember that God is your shepherd. Look at verse 20. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron, God is not only redeemer, but he is shepherd. He cares for his people. He redeemed the, the Israelites from Egyptian slavery. He parted the Red Sea and delivered them, but he was also with them in the wilderness as their shepherd. He guided them. He led them. He protected them. He provided manna from heaven. He provided water for his, his people. He was there caring for them even after he had redeemed them. He was present. And brothers and sisters, God has not only redeemed us from sin and death, but he is present with us by his spirit. He has not only brought us into the sheepfold, but he is, in fact, our shepherd. He provides us, provides for us, he guides us, he leads us, he protects us. He keeps watch over us as a shepherd would watch over his sheep. So no matter what you may be going through, the Lord is with you. He is your shepherd caring for you leading, protecting. Brothers and sisters, continually remind yourself of God's power and greatness, his redemptive work through Christ, and that he is your shepherd. In light of these truths of these, this, this passage, I've got a, a couple points of application, um, which we, a couple of that we've, we've already mentioned, but going to remind us of. One, cry out to the Lord in trials. Cry out and seek the Lord in trials. So again, what are you tempted to run to in the midst of seasons of sorrow? What, what, are you just, what naturally comes to mind that, hey, I need to go to this for comfort rather than the Lord? And, and write that down and, and, and pray that God would help you to not go to that thing for help, but to get, first go to the Lord. Again, the God of the universe invites us. He invites his children to come to his throne by the blood of Jesus to make our requests made known to him. Even our requests in seasons of sorrow, he invites us to have intimate communion with him. And so let's do that. Secondly, ask honest questions to God and don't be surprised when our brothers and sisters do the same. Ask honest questions to God and don't, don't be surprised when a brother or sister shares those doubts or questions about God as well. We can be honest with God about how we're feeling we shouldn't be surprised when a brother or sister expresses those doubts or those questions in a difficult season. Again, the reality is we live in a fallen world and we're going to have these seasons of sorrow, these seasons of brokenness, and uh, we need to be able to honestly share how we're feeling with the Lord and also with one another. And so, uh, so let's, not, let's be honest with God and let's not be surprised by that. Although we, we ought to be able to share our honest questions and doubts with one another, we also must help uh, turn our eyes from our present circumstances and, and turn our eyes to the Lord. So we, we need to shift our eyes from our circumstances and shift them to the Lord and his promises. So this is, this is what Asaph eventually did, beginning in verse 10. This was after his, this process of lament and wrestling with God, and perhaps this was weeks or months or years. We don't know uh, as far as what was going on with Asaph, but this was a process and uh, it's the same is true for us today. Our, our seasons of lament are a process over time through which God works. And so as we walk alongside a brother or sister through these seasons, we need to remember that. 
But also at the right time, we are to speak the truth in love uh, to our brother or sister and lovingly point them to God's truth and his promises and his word and to look upward to God. And I think there's a couple ways that we can help shift our focus from our present circumstances into the Lord. One being the scriptures, right? That's, that's the main one. And we're doing that even now as we're gathered together as the people of God, all sitting under the authority of God's word here on Sunday morning, right? The Lord's day. Uh, but we, and this, this meal is very important, right? For, for our souls. But it would be as if we said, we were going to have one meal a week of actual food and we're going to fast the rest of the week, right? None of us are doing that. Uh, unless we're in a season of fasting, maybe, maybe you are doing that, but most of us are not doing that. And so the same is true with the Word of God. It's not just something that we need on Sunday mornings. That certainly is a part of the, the corporate gathering of the people of God, and that is the primary uh, uh, means of grace. But we need that throughout the week. We need that through our times in the Word, reminding ourselves of God's Word. Again, we're, we, we are a people who easily forget. I know I am. And so we need to be reminded of God's truth Week in, day in and day out, week in and week out. Secondly, we need theologically rich and biblically faithful songs to be able to sing in the midst of sorrow. Uh, this can help shift our eyes from our present circumstances and, and shift them to the Lord. Uh, we can all pretty easily pick up lyrics of, of songs and, um, and, and even more so than Scripture uh, because there's a tune that goes with it. And so we, we need these songs that are saturated with the truth of God's Word, which I'm so thankful for how Bob, you know, leads us uh, in, in song uh, on Sunday mornings. And even whenever we can't sing uh, the, the song, our brothers and sisters around us are singing the songs for us and to the Lord and, and reminding us of God's truth as well. And so we need the Word of God even through song as well. And then thirdly, community. Uh, the presence of fellow believers can be such an encouragement in the midst of sorrow and so gathering here this morning is a visible representation that you are not alone. You are not alone. You, have a, you are part of a larger body. We all are different members of the body, and, but we are one. And we have one another's backs. We are walking this journey together. And so you're not alone in the journey that you're walking. And if you're in a season of sorrow, you're not alone in that. You have the body of Christ and again, the, the people of God are a means by which we can remind one another of the truth of God's word. We're pointing one another to the Lord and trying to shift our eyes off our present circumstances while also being sympathetic and understanding and being present and listening and understanding, but also lovingly and graciously pointing one another to God's word. Fellow brothers and sisters are often the means by which the Lord removes the blinders uh, off of our eyes and points us to the truth of God's word and, and the beauty of the Lord and his faithfulness. Well, as we conclude this morning, I, I'm just going to read a couple of, of passages that I hope will bring encouragement and remind us of the faithfulness of God. And perhaps these, these verses will be an encouragement to you uh, as maybe you're in a season of, of sorrow or just a season of trial. Uh, I, just, I just sit back and, and listen and uh, be refreshed by these, these words, these promises, these uh, of God's word that we see. Psalm 136, one through three. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. Verse 10. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, for his steadfast love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them, for his steadfast love endures forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his steadfast love endures forever. And made Israel pass through it, through the midst of it, for his steadfast love endures forever. But, but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his steadfast love endures forever. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. 
Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And finally, Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Let's pray, church. Lord, we thank you that you hear our cries, that you hear our prayers in the midst of trials in the midst of sorrows, that we can be honest with you, that we don't have to, to shove down our, our feelings and questions and doubts, but Lord, that you delight to hear the honest cries, the honest prayers of your saints as we're wrestling through trials of life, seasons of sorrow. Oh God, we thank you. The holy God of the universe who is set apart from us who is the God of gods, you take interest in us. And you want intimate communion with us. We are so thankful, Lord. Lord, I pray that that would be an encouragement to a brother or sister this morning who needs to be comforted or encouraged by the fact that you, are, you care, you are with them, and that they can ask honest prayers, uh, confess these honest prayers to you even in the midst of these trials. So Lord, would you comfort and encourage grieving brothers and sisters in this room? And Lord, we do thank you for your redemptive work. We thank you that you delivered the Israelites, preserved the people for yourself, even after hundreds of years of slavery to, uh, to the Egyptians. But Lord, we thank you that you have redeemed us in an even far more incredible way by becoming a man, living a perfect life, dying on the cross in our place, so that we could be forgiven, so that you would give us your righteousness and that you would take our sin. Lord, would you work in the hearts of the, the person in this room, the people in this room who have yet to believe in Jesus? Would you help them to see that you have worked in this redemptive way, that you have made a way for them to be made right with you? And if they would just come to the end of themselves and see that they need Jesus alone to save them, oh God, would you grant them faith right now to believe in you? And Lord, for the believers in this room, we thank you for the gospel. May we be a people who constantly remember the gospel, remember your redemptive work through Christ, and may that give us comfort and a trust in you that you have delivered us from our greatest enemies, sin and death, and that you will deliver us and that you will be with us uh, in, the, in the midst of sorrow in this present world, in this present broken world. Lord, we pray that you would help us to uh, to, to grow in these areas of, of just of lament and caring for one another as we lament, as we go through trials of life. Lord, may we be faithful to your word as we seek to come alongside brothers and sisters in, these, in, in a season of lament. And may we grow in our love for one another uh, by being present and praying with and, and helping reorient our eyes off of our present circumstances and point them to the Lord. Lord, we need your help in all these things, and we pray that you would do all them for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.